Bible study, uh, sorry, Bible study, Bible reading is from Ecclesiastes, and we're reading through chapter 6, verse 7, all the way to chapter 8, verse 1. And you can find on page 539 of your pew Bible. All human toil is for the mouth, yet the appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage have the wise over fools? And what do the poor have who know how to conduct themselves before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of desire. This also is vanity and the chasing after wind. Whatever has come, whatever come to be has already been named and is known what human beings are and that they are not able to dispute with those who are stronger. The more words, the more vanity. So how is one the better? For who knows what is good for mortals when they live the few days of their vain life, which they pass like a shadow? For who can tell them what will be after them under the sun? A good name is better than precious ornament, and a day of death than a day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for it is the end of everyone, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of countenance the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It's better to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For like the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of fools. This also is vanity. Surely oppression makes the wise foolish, and a bribe corrupts the heart. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning. The patient in spirit are better than the proud in spirit. Do not be quick to anger. For anger lodges in bosom of fools. Do not say, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Wisdom is as good as the inheritance, an advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money. An advantage of knowledge is that wisdom gives life to the one who possesses it. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? In a day of prosperity, be joyful. In a day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other, so that mortals may not find out anything that will come after them. In my vain life, I've seen everything. There are righteous people who perish in their righteousness, and there are wicked people who prolong their life in their evil doing. Do not be too righteous, and do not act too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Do not be too wicked, and do not be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of the one without letting go of the other, for the one who fears God shall succeed with both. Wisdom gives strength to the wise more than ten rulers that are in the city. Surely there are no one on earth so righteous as to do good without even sinning. Do not give heed to everything that people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you.
your heart knows that many times you yourself curse others. All these I've tested by wisdom. I said I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which is is far off and deep, very deep. Who can I find? Who can find it out? I turn my mind to know and to search out and to seek wisdom and the sums of things, and to know what wickedness is folly, that and that foolishness is madness. I found more bitter than death the woman who is a trap, whose heart is snares and nets, whose hands are fetters. One who pleases God escaped her, but a sinner is taken by her. See, this is what I found, says the teacher. Adding one thing to another to find a sum, which is my mind has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man among a thousand I found, but a woman among all these I have now found. See, this alone I found that God made human beings straightforward, but they have devised many schemes. Who is like the wise man, and who knows the interpre- interpretation of a thing? Wisdom makes one's face shine, and the hardness of one's countenance is changed. So our New Testament reading is from Colossians, and we're reading chapter one, verse twenty-four, all the way to chapter two, verse seven. And you can find on page nine hundred and fifty-six of your pew Bible. I'm now rejoicing in my suffering for your sake. And in my flesh, I'm completing what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, for the sake of His body, that is the church. I became its servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you, and to make the word of God fully known, the mystery that has been hidden throughout ages and generations, but has now been revealed to His saints. To them, God chose chose to make known how. Great among the Gentiles, and the riches of the glory of His mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is He whom we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone in all wisdom, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For these, I toil and struggle with all the energy that He powerfully inspires within me. For I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you, and for those in Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face. I want their hearts to be encouraged and united in love, so that they may have all the riches of a sure understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ Himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I'm saying this so that no one may deceive you with a plausible argument. For though I'm absent in body, but I'm with you in spirit, and I rejoice to see your morale and the firmness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received the Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving.
All right. Uh, as we mentioned uh, earlier on, we're continuing in our uh, series in Ecclesiastes tonight, uh, and that first of the two passages that E just read for us, uh, we're going to particularly think about uh, chapter 7 of Ecclesiastes, which is kind of the, the big middle bit of what we just read. Um, so you might like to have that open in front of you. Um, we've been uh, thinking all through this series about uh, what it means to, to find joy in the midst of the absurdity of life. Uh, and tonight, particularly, uh, we are thinking a bit about uh, the search for wisdom, uh, how it is that you can find what the teacher of Ecclesiastes tells us is the way to find wisdom in the midst of a world where lots of things just don't make sense a lot of the time. Uh, it's not necessarily going to feel that much like a sermon about wisdom, uh, because, I don't know if you noticed, uh, in Ecclesiastes 7, what the teacher pretty much says is that if you want to be wise, you've got to face up to the reality of death. Uh, so we're actually going to speak a lot about death and kind of come around again to wisdom at the end. Um, and it, it's, it's pretty heavy to think about, actually. Uh, but I think and I hope and I believe that the, the teacher is right, that if we can really actually uh, hit this, uh, if we can really actually face this head on, then it makes all the difference in the world to how we live in the light of God's goodness to us. Uh, so we're going to, uh, as you can see on the screen, there's a, another slide which just uh, give you a little bit of orientation so you kind of know where we're going. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, death at a funeral. Uh, we're going to talk about how death is a teacher to us. Uh, we're going to talk about what death means for the search to wisdom. And finally, actually, the, the deep wisdom that comes from uh, facing up to death head on. Uh, so let me pray for us and then we'll dig in. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you give us uh, in uh, the Holy Scriptures, in the pages of the Bible, uh, everything that we need to know you. Uh, thank you that there we find out about the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, who you sent to us, among us, as one of us, uh, in order that he might die for us and be raised again, so that you could bring us home, uh, so that we could have uh, a life full of the joy uh, of knowing you in the Lord Jesus. Uh, we pray that you do that work in us tonight. Uh, we pray that as we uh, tackle this uh, tricky subject, two tricky subjects, really, of death and of wisdom, that your spirit would be at work in our hearts so that we might see the beauty and the goodness of life in the world that you've made and how that all hangs together in Jesus himself. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. Uh, I've been to a number of funerals in my life. Uh, I tried to count them this week, actually. Uh, I thought, I wonder how many I've, I've been to. I think I'm up around the, the 20 mark now. Um, I don't know if that's, if that's more or less funerals than you've been to. Uh, you tend to uh, collect more with age. Um, so some of you probably have been to significantly less than I have. Some of you might have been to many more. Uh, I've uh, been to all four of my grandparents' funerals. Uh, I've been to uh, the funeral of a primary school uh, friend's father. Uh, I've been to the funeral of uh, a friend of the family's father and another friend of the family, uh, her mother. Uh, I've been to uh, a funeral for uh, many elderly people at my family's church uh, and indeed for uh, one of their grandchildren too, uh, who lost her life in a car accident. Uh, I went to a funeral on the same day as my year 12 formal uh, for a cousin who had taken his own life. Uh, I went uh, to another for a boy a year ahead of me at school uh, who uh, collapsed with heart failure at a school athletics carnival, a uh, victim of a, an undiagnosed heart condition, uh, dead at 17. Uh, I know many of you have actually been to a number of funerals even just this year. Uh, funerals uh, for family members, uh, funerals for friends, funerals for some who had lived uh, long, full lives uh, for whom there was much to give thanks for, and some for uh, people who were robbed of the years that we thought we'd get to spend with them. Uh, funerals are uh, obviously sad occasions. Uh, they can be kind of odd occasions too. Uh, sometimes it's hard to know exactly what it is you're supposed to be doing and feeling at a funeral. Uh, and as strange as it sounds, I think it's actually true to say that uh, some funerals are actually better than others. 
Uh, I'm not quite sure what the criteria uh, what the criteria are, but there are good funerals and there are bad funerals. Uh, some funerals really seem to hit the mark, uh, providing space for real grief and reflection. Uh, others are, are sentimental affairs that uh, tend to kind of just paper over the grief, pretend that everything's all right, uh, not, and not, don't do any justice in the end to the life of the, of the person who's died. Uh, I was at a funeral actually just last Friday. Uh, the dead man was a, a police officer who had a, a sudden and unexpected heart attack. Uh, I didn't actually know him at all. I didn't know his family at all. Everything that I know about this man I learned in the eulogy that day. Um, I was there because uh, Andrew, uh, our senior minister, was uh, taking the funeral and he thought uh, that as someone who's just finished theological college, starting out as a, a minister here in Asheville, it'd be good for me to actually go and observe him as he did it to kind of begin to learn uh, what it's like to, uh, to do that task of leading people in mourning in that way. Uh, now, it's uh, a strange thing. Andrew says this has never happened to him before. But uh, the Monday after the funeral, he got a phone call from one of the family members of the man who died, uh, offering him some feedback, some notes on uh, how well he'd done at uh, taking this funeral. Um, it was mostly positive, you know, the tone was good and the, the family's wishes were respected, you know, all those things. But he had one particularly negative piece of feedback for Andrew. Uh, it was something actually that, that had been passed on to him from some of the other police officers who were at the funeral. Uh, and they said, you know what, there were lots of things about that, that that were great, but really, did we need to talk about death so much? Now, I don't know about you, but doesn't that strike you as a little bit strange? As a piece of feedback from a funeral, too much talk about death. Uh, I don't know what they were expecting, I don't know how many other funerals they'd been to, uh, but that's just, it's a strange thing to say. The, the reason they were there is because this colleague of theirs, uh, this friend of theirs, uh, had died. Uh, and it was a moment for uh, acknowledging that fact, for sharing in grief in that moment, even as they celebrated the good things about him. But I think it actually just goes to show how keen we are, really, to avoid death as much as we can. Uh, even death at a funeral. Uh, imagine, imagine that, like just, you know, you walk into a funeral and you see the casket sitting there in front of you uh, with your friend, your family member in it, uh, and you, you think, let's, let's not talk about death today. It's just a sign of the fact that we know deep down that funerals actually aren't just about the person who's died. Funerals actually are about us as well. Because even as we grieve the death of another person and feel the pain and sadness of that loss, their death is a reminder that we too one day will die. Uh, it's uncomfortable, uh, it's even frightening, and some of you in the room tonight actually just don't believe it. Um, there are a number of you in the room here who are under 25. You don't really believe that you're going to die ever. I know, you might say that you do, but you don't really believe it yet. And so this actually tonight is a really important word for those of you who are quite young among us as well. Because the teacher says, he's going to go on to say, that if you want to know how to live well, if you want wisdom, you need to come to grips with this reality. That you one day will be the person there in that casket. That your life will come to an end. It's much easier though to pretend that it doesn't exist. Much easier to pretend that everything's fine. Much easier to do whatever you can to distract yourself from the end that's inevitably coming your way. You see, there are different ways to experience a funeral. Uh, we've seen one example in that feedback that Andrew received. Uh, and different ways that you might experience a funeral actually, I think, are representative of different ways to respond to this reality of death in general. Uh, you see, I think there are three categories, really, that your response might fall into. On the one hand, you can avoid the unpleasantness of death. Uh, you can engage in a little bit of escapism. 
Uh, you think of those uh, funerals that uh, paper over the seriousness and the sorrow of death with uh, sappy, sentimental poems about how the, the dead are living on in our hearts that fail to actually let people take seriously and feel the reality and the heaviness of someone having died. On the other hand, you can acknowledge the reality of death and even then respond in different ways. Uh, you could uh, stubbornly stare death down, determined that uh, the knowledge that your death is coming won't change you, it won't make any difference to the way that you live, no matter how, how much you hurt yourself or other people in the meantime. Uh, you might think of uh, people who are asked to have uh, Frank Sinatra's I Did It My Way played at their funeral. It's actually, I've heard, uh, I have no idea if this fact is true, but I'm going to give you the fact anyway. Apparently, it's the most requested song at funerals now. I Did It My Way. There you go. Make of that what you will. Or, of course, you can let uh, the death that uh, is coming to you uh, actually just fill you with dread, with fear, with anxiety. Uh, and so in the, the fear of death, uh, in that way, you never take any risks. You never do anything that might hasten that day. You never get too attached to anything or to anyone in the fear that you might actually lose whatever it is that you've gained. The irony is that in each of these cases... Uh, death actually, despite your protest against it, death is defining you. Death is determining the way that you live. Uh, escapism, stubbornness, anxiety, uh, they're all different species of what uh, the New Testament calls slavery to the fear of death. But the teacher says here in Ecclesiastes 17 that there's another way to respond to death. Uh, that instead of letting death rule you, you can let death teach you that death can be a guide for you as you search for wisdom in a way to live rightly in the world. That you can let death, in the end, show you what it is to really live. And so we've got to think about that for a little bit, about what it means for death to teach us. Now, the teacher has a lot to say about death, and it's uh, pretty confronting stuff, actually. Uh, take a look with me at the uh, opening verses of chapter 7. Uh, the teacher says that a good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of birth. Uh, now, I think the first part of that verse is pretty straightforward. It's much better to be uh, someone uh, who is uh, well-loved and respected, but a little bit, you know, unkempt, a little bit gross, a bit kind of, you know, yuck around the edges. It's better to be that person, actually, than it is to be someone who's uh, well-presented, well-dressed, smells like a bed of roses, but everybody hates you and can't stand to be near you. That kind of makes sense, right? Uh, what's weirder is uh, the second part of that verse there. Uh, in the same way, the teacher says, in the same way that this is true, that a good name is better, the day of death is better than the day of birth. Uh, now, as uh, most of you know, uh, my wife, Alison, and I, we've had a birth in the family this year. Uh, in May, uh, we uh, re received uh, our first child, uh, our daughter, Maggie. Um, she's nearly eight months old now. She started, you know, I won't give you a whole update on all the things, but she's basically, she's the best kid that's ever existed. Um, won't surprise you to hear me say that. Uh, now, you see, despite the hard work and the pain of childbirth, and let me tell you, it's, I had no idea. It's just like, it's nuts. It's hard. It's painful. It's the, the hardest thing I, I think that Alison has ever done. Nevertheless, it was a day just of sheer joy and thankfulness. Uh, God had given us a daughter. We had new life to celebrate. So how could that possibly be not as good as the day of death? Well, I think what the teacher's getting at uh, is that on, the day, on that day when Maggie was born, we actually just we knew nothing about her at all. We still don't know all that much about her, really. Uh, we don't know who it is that she's going to grow up to be. We don't know what her achievements will be. We don't know anything about her character or her relationships. 
No assessment can be made about these things yet. We can't tell you much about who she is other than that she makes cute sounds and she can roll from back to front now. Uh, you see, uh, at that day, even now, uh, she's, uh, her life is all about the future. Uh, there's all this potential, uh, all this kind of stretching out before us that we wait to uh, discover with her. And that's actually, in part, what makes the day of birth so special. But you see, on the day of her death, uh, many years from now, God willing, uh, she'll be known. Uh, those who attend her funeral will have something substantive to say about her, whether good or bad. They'll be able to say something about what she was like, about how she loved, about what effect she had on those in the world around her. And so the teacher says, it's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of everyone, and the living will lay it to heart. You see, death comes to us all, the teacher wants to remind us. And to acknowledge and accept that reality will shape your heart. It will shape what you desire, what you long for, the things that you think are important in your life. And with that knowledge, when you really acknowledge the reality of death coming your way, with that knowledge, the teacher says, comes a warning. Uh, he continues in verse 3. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of countenance the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. You see, the day of your death will reveal something about who you really are. And there's every possibility that if you could attend your own funeral, uh, you might not like some of what you hear. Uh, even if nice things are said from the front. I don't know, have you ever been at one of those funerals where someone's saying all these nice things in the eulogy and you can kind of see or hear the family members grumbling a little bit? Of, you know, it's like, oh, that's not really the full picture of how that went down, is it? You, know? uh, you might hear some things at your own funeral that you're not particularly pleased about. But to avoid the reality of death, to fail to reckon with it, to laugh without weeping... Uh, is to risk letting the absurdity of life under the sun being the only story that can be told about your life. On the other hand, to experience real sorrow makes it possible uh, to find joy even in the face of death. Uh, I don't know if you've uh, seen uh, A Muppet Christmas Carol. I think it's based on some kind of old book, but it's obviously the, this the definitive version of the story now. Uh, I think it's Alison's favourite movie of all time, actually. We've got the soundtrack to it in the car at the moment, and it's just driving me nuts. Anyway, it's quite a fun film, right? Uh, and you know the story, the, the cranky, stingy, cruel Ebenezer Scrooge uh, is taken by various ghosts to see Christmas past, Christmas present, Christmas future. And as he's taken by the ghost of Christmas yet to come, he sees uh, his funeral. He sees the aftermath of his own death. And he doesn't like what he hears. He hears the way that people talk about him. He hears from people who he's mistreated about how miserable he made their lives. And he's appalled by it. And for him, that moment, that realisation of the way that he's lived his life and what that would, would be revealed about that upon his death is for him the beginning of actually going back and making big changes in his life. He becomes this generous, compassionate, you know, Michael Caine starts singing all of a sudden. It's, you know, it's beautiful. Uh, most of us don't have that, that kind of advantage. Um, there might be some of you among us, I don't know, but most of us don't have the ghost of Christmas yet to come, come and actually show us uh, our own death. And so what the teacher is saying here is that you need, to, you need to learn from this reality. You need to see what it means for your life to know that that's what's coming to you. Uh, the point is that when life ends or when it's about to end, uh, absolutely everything else begins to come into focus. Uh, facing death forces us to ask what kind of people we want to be. Uh, what will others say about me? What kind of life will we lead? And that, the teacher says, is how death actually relates to the search for wisdom. You see, to ask those kinds of questions is wise. 
to ask those kinds of questions mean that all of a sudden you start to get the really important things at the centre of your life. That all of those shallow peripheral things that we like to fill our lives up with suddenly just look unimportant. And the wise person faces the reality of death, sees what it says about our lives and the way we live them, and learns from that experience how to live. So we're going to think a little bit more about that, about how death goes together with the search for wisdom. Uh, Now, I think our culture places a lot of emphasis on wisdom, on searching for wisdom. Uh, We are here in the uh, developed West, the richest part of the world throughout all of human history, the most technologically advanced, the most peaceful in some ways at least. Uh, We value scientific investigation, we value education, uh, and we see wisdom as a kind of silver bullet uh, for all kinds of human problems. We can investigate and understand the functions and dysfunctions of the world and repair them. We do everything we can to get a good education for ourselves and for our children so that we and they can get ahead. And the scientific and technological advances of the last few hundred years are really quite profound, uh, as is the, the quality and the effectiveness of the kind of educational systems that we have in this part of the world. Uh, In fact, we now have uh, pretty much all of the human knowledge that has ever existed in the history of the the human race right at our fingertips on the interwebs. You can type anything you want into Google and very quickly find uh, that piece of knowledge that was written down sometime in the 4th century BC from some Greek philosopher. Everything that human beings have ever thought about pretty much anything is there on the internet. Wisdom in a huge abundance for us to use, to utilise, to make our lives better. Uh, And we wield uh, that power, we wield uh, our uh, wisdom by uh, clicking on clickbait headlines, by making purchases on plastic with money that we don't have, by binging on Netflix and reading listicles, by watching pornography. You see, we live in an escapist culture and despite all the wisdom at our fingertips, uh, so often that wisdom is not really evident in the way that our culture conducts itself. Uh, Life in this world is full of distractions from the deeper and more disturbing parts of life. And it turns out that this kind of escapism is exactly what what the teacher says comes about as a result of failing to learn death's lesson. This is the foolishness that he talks about. You can see there in verse 6, he says, For like the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of fools. This also is vanity. You see, the laughter of fools is fleeting, Uh, like the kindling that you use to start a fire. It burns brightly, but only for a moment, and then its job is done, and it's gone. Uh, In the same way, uh, those who uh, seek to fill their lives with uh, any kind of laughter they can get, uh, any kind of enjoyment, any distraction, it's great, but, you know, just for a moment. This is kind of actually the ancient Hebrew equivalent of YOLO. Uh, This is pretty much the the ancient Hebrew way of saying, you know, know, you burn up is better than fading away. Uh, YOLO, it turns out, is a true fact, uh, but the teacher, I will see, says that its effect should be the opposite of what mean, we mean by it. Uh, we say you only live once to mean, yeah, so, you know, whatever, it doesn't really matter, just kind of, you know, do what you enjoy. Uh, but instead, the teacher will tell us the fact that you only live once, that death is coming, means that everything matters. Uh, our escapist culture is pretty exciting, but it's also just shallow. Uh, it's a way of life that never gets to the heart of things and instead kind of just fiddles around on the surface. And, and it turns out, I think pretty obviously in the end, that all this escapism, all this distraction in our culture, really is, when it comes down to it, about slavery to the fear of death. Uh, we know this because when our culture really does uh, come face to face with the reality of death's inevitability, uh, we shift very quickly from escapism to stubbornness. 
Uh, you see, we've uh, begun to, to decide in, in our culture, in our country, uh, that if we can't avoid death, then at least we're going to make an appointment to meet it at a specified time and place. Uh, we've started uh, passing laws in our parliaments to make it legal to uh, die on one's own terms, to die with dignity, uh, stubbornly refusing to believe uh, that actually dying with dignity is simply a contradiction in terms. You see, our culture prides itself on wisdom, but the shallowness of so much of what fills our lives forces us to ask whether or not we've really found it. Uh, now, the teacher has told us in Ecclesiastes that uh, searching for wisdom is exactly what he's on about. This is uh, kind of the purpose of the book, actually, to find wisdom, uh, to see what's going on uh, under the sun uh, on this earth that God has made and work out how it all fits together. Uh, he says uh, in chapter 1 that his goal is to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. And he actually explains that a little bit more here in chapter 7. Uh, he sets out, he says in verse 25, to seek the sum of things uh, by adding one thing to another. Uh, the teacher's using his wisdom to kind of collect all kinds of different human experiences. And he does it, he tells us in chapter 1, by trying to live as many of those experiences as he can. He tries to, to catalogue uh, all these different things that human beings can do uh, in order to find the connections between them and try and get a picture of the whole as they come together. Uh, and he declares in the end that uh, his search has failed. Uh, verse 23, he says, All this I have tested by wisdom. I said I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which is, that which exists is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? Not me is the implication I haven't, the teacher says. It's death in the end that makes the ultimate mockery of his search. And verse 15, he says, In my vain life I've seen everything. There are righteous people who perish in their righteousness. There are wicked people who prolong their life in evil doing. You see, for all of his investigation into wisdom, uh, the teacher still can't answer that simple question that even kids ask. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why does death, which comes to everyone, come too soon to the kind and the generous and come too late to the cruel and the stingy? Uh, all the wisdom in the world can't keep death at bay. But the teacher says that actually in, in that recognition, in realising that limit to what wisdom can do for you, therein actually lies the deepest wisdom of all. Uh, death's deep wisdom, what death teaches us in the end, is that wisdom is limited. It can't prolong your life, it can't give you control, it can't bring time to a halt. In the end, even the wisest person in the most advanced society dies. And so the deep wisdom of death, really, is that we human beings, we creatures that God has made, should be humble. Uh, look at what the teacher says in verse 13. He says, Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider, God has made the one as well as the other, so that mortals may not find out anything that will come after them. You see, the wisest thing you can do, says the teacher, is to meditate on, to realise, that not even wisdom will tell you everything that you feel like you want and need to know. And that to live wisely, you have to learn to live within the limitations of wisdom itself. Now, it's important to note here uh, that the teacher doesn't say that wisdom is futile, uh, he says the search for it is futile. They're trying to find uh, out all the wisdom under the sun and kind of add it up together. This is the task in which he's failed. There are still some things about which we can say that that really is good. That really is the wisest way. Uh, he even lists some of them for us. So in verses 5 to 10, he says that listening to rebuke, refusing bribes, patience, forbearance, not giving into nostalgia, 
These things are all wise. But wisdom has to be kept in its proper perspective, uh, in its proper place. Uh, and uh, the, the teacher tells us this by uh, sharing some of my uh, favourite biblical advice. Actually, this is one of my favourite little two verses in the whole of the Bible. Uh, verse 16, he says, Don't be too righteous. Don't act too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? I think next time you kind of want to do something a little bit foolish, just remember this is kind of a, you know, a, little, a little mantra, a little catchphrase from the Bible. Yeah, don't, yeah, yeah, don't have to be too righteous. You know, just, yeah. Anyway, he goes on, right? There's more, there's more to the story. Don't be too righteous, but also, on the other hand, don't be too wicked. And don't be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It's good, he says, that you should take hold of the one without letting go of the other. For the one who fears God shall succeed with both. There are two ways, the teacher says, to get wisdom out of balance. Uh, one's to care too little about wisdom, to live foolishly. Uh, and I think that one's pretty obvious, actually. The basic idea is that if you do dumb stuff, then dumb stuff's going to happen to you, right? Um, one of my brothers is a bit dumb. Uh, it's not true. That's, that's unkind. But he, does, he has done dumb things before, right? Haven't we all, I guess? Uh, he is uh, allergic to bees, uh, and the way that he discovered that he was allergic to bees, well, he ran into uh, the kitchen one morning when he was about, oh, I think, six or seven years old. Uh, my mum and I were in the kitchen. He ran and said, I've been stung by a bee, I've been stung by a bee, blah, blah, blah. You know, we uh, dealt with all of the, the bee stuff. And then mum sat him down and said to him, so how did you get stung? He said, well, I was trying to catch it. And I did. <laughs> I mean, there's not much you can do about that, really. There's just not much, not much you can do with that. Uh, you know, foolishness leads to, you know, an, an early death, potentially. That's what the teacher says. That's pretty straightforward, I think. I think what's harder for us to get our heads around is the other side of the equation. That the other way to get wisdom out of balance is to uh, care too much about wisdom, to be too righteous. Uh, and I think what's going on here is uh, the, the teacher's saying that this person, this person who cares too much about wisdom, who's being too righteous, uh, they think that wisdom will save them. Uh, they think that if they just live wisely enough, uh, they'll get life under control. Uh, things will pan out the way that they want them to. Uh, the teacher says that that approach to wisdom will destroy you because wisdom actually just can't do what you want it to do at that point. Uh, I've been reading a couple of books on Ecclesiastes as we've been kind of working through this series. Uh, one of them is this one, which I'm going to take a moment to plug to you now. It's by a guy called uh, David Gibson. Uh, it's uh, called Living Life Backwards, uh, How Ecclesiastes Teaches Us to Live in Light of the End. It's a beautiful little book. Uh, and I think in this book, actually, he, uh, he gets this part of, of, of chapter 7 down really well. He helps to explain exactly what it is the teacher's going on about. So let me read to you, and we'll have it up on the screen here as well. Uh, so you think you've got wisdom... You think you've got your life in order, got it nailed down? You think you understand how the world works? If death and destruction come knocking on your door on a Tuesday morning, completely out of the blue, if the doctor tells you that your own end is near, or the phone rings with heartbreaking news, then at that moment you'll realise the control you thought you had over life was just self-deception. Uh, he continues... Uh, thinking you know enough to have control of your own life is just an illusion. But the tears on your pillow at night, they're real. When we try to get a fully satisfying handle on how things work, we discover that wisdom seems to live on the other side of the world. We chase it, but we just can't get the full measure of it. And if you spend your life trying to do that, trying to get the full measure of it, trying to get it all under control, the teacher says, it'll just crush you. 
Uh, all those moments when things go wrong, when things don't go the way that you're hoping that they will, they'll become for you like the walls are crashing in around you, uh, like everything is kind of just falling apart and that life is, is you know, almost no longer worth living. Uh, that's what it means to be too righteous, to care too much about wisdom. Uh, in the end, it's about taking life too seriously at that moment. And so death teaches us, uh, by showing us how limited wisdom is, that wisdom uh, kept properly balanced in the right perspective is a good thing, but you've got to be careful not to fall too far either way. Uh, and have a look at exactly what it is that the teacher says about the effect of wisdom. When we do get it balanced, when we get it in its proper place. Uh, in verse 11 and 12 he says, uh, Wisdom is as good as an inheritance, an advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money, and the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom gives life to the one who possesses it. Uh, wisdom, despite its limitations, despite not being able to give us control, despite not being able to keep us from death, uh, nevertheless, somehow, is an advantage and a protection. Uh, how is it that wisdom, even limited wisdom, can give us life? Uh, well, what the teacher's telling us is that uh, the effect of really facing up to death, uh, really getting it in your heart that your life is, uh, is short, that it's a gift from God that one day he'll take away, if you really face up to death in that way, then the effect is that it actually gives you your life back again. When you don't let death lead to escapism or to stubbornness or to anxiety and fear, then you can actually start to really live. You can actually start to take life seriously for the first time. The wise person who uh, sits in, uh, in the church or the funeral parlour and sees the, the coffin sitting up the front, uh, that person will realise that, that one day they're the one who's going to be there in that box. And then on that day, the rest of us will be able to see what you're really like, that your life will kind of make sense all of a sudden, or be seen for what it really is. And so you'll get about actually living a life centred on the things that matter, centred on deep things, not shallow things. But as the teacher has warned, you can take life too seriously. Uh, and so it's worth noting that uh, the person who has uh, faced up to death in this way, the wise person in this way, uh, isn't actually someone who's just morbid, isn't someone who's just talking all the time about how you know, life is short and none, you know, none of us are uh, going to last and so you, know, you just kind of make the best of it that you can. No, what characterises a person like this is depth. Someone who has depth of character, depth of soul, who knows what really matters uh, and who knows how to enjoy those things that really matter in life. It's the opposite of the superficiality that's the mark of the kind of culture we live in. When you've been taught by death to take life seriously, then you find actually the real joy in life. You find the company of family and friends, the beauty of the world that God's made, the satisfaction of a good day's work well done. Letting the sorrow of death into your heart, embracing the pain of loss when it comes your way, recognising that life is a gift from God that one day will end. Uh, that's actually what will make your love more intense, will make your joy deeper. Uh, you'll live uh, not just a serious life, but a life of serious joy. Uh, and I think actually, uh, for those of you who've lost someone close to you, uh, for those of you who's, uh, who've faced a, a serious illness, you have those kind of crystallising moments, right? Uh, the teacher talked about it already in one of the verses we've already read. He talks about uh, how uh, sorrow of the face brings gladness to the heart. Uh, and you know that when you really grieve something, when you really feel a loss, that at the same time you realise actually just how much you love that person, how much you love so many things about them. Uh, it's actually through that experience of grief, of sorrow, of loss, and facing up to it, and opening yourself up to it, that actually you start to see what really matters. You start to see what it looks like to open your heart up to those around you. 
Uh, now, the year is still young. Uh, it's not yet the end of January, though that'll happen pretty quick and then it'll be October all of a sudden. But at the moment, while the year is still young, uh, it's a good moment actually to, to think about this, to, make some, uh, to ask some good questions, to make some plans for the year ahead. Uh, and so I wonder what areas of your life need more serious attention this year. Uh, do you need to give more attention to uh, developing a rich devotional life? Is it time to get uh, serious about uh, serving, serving others uh, in your family and at church? Have you been neglecting family or friends and actually cutting yourself off from the joy that those relationships bring? Do you need to recalibrate your desires for your work, for your studies? Uh, is there some area in which you're being too righteous, where you're holding too tight to some aspect of your life and in the process kind of squeezing actually the joy out of it? Uh, on the other hand, are you being too wicked? Are you giving yourself over to too many just shallow, short-term pleasures? Well, guess what? One day you're going to die. So get serious about finding real, deep joy in the things that honour your Creator. Uh, now, you see, uh, we have uh, an example to follow in this uh, because we know someone who's faced up to death and actually has come through the other side of us to tell us all about it. Uh, we know Jesus, who uh, the teacher hadn't met, didn't know, could only dream of how God would come among us in the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus himself, he lived a life of serious joy. Uh, and he offers that kind of life to you as well. Uh, you see, Jesus' whole life was shaped by the death that he knew he had to die. Uh, he told his disciples and followers many times that death was coming for him. Uh, he faced up to it pretty well, but his disciples just couldn't deal with it. They kept telling him to stop being so morbid, to stop talking about his death all the time, to say, no, 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 that's not going to happen, don't worry about it. But Jesus' whole life was lived toward that death. Jesus knew how to be serious. Uh, he said high moral standards for his followers. He talked incessantly about the necessity of giving up everything to follow his father with him. And he knew sorrow too, weeping at the tomb of his friend Lazarus. But he also knew how to have a good time. Uh, he knew joy. Uh, in fact, Jesus spent so much time feasting with friends that the religious leaders of his day accused him of being a drunk with loose morals. That's how much joy Jesus took in having food and wine with his friends. Uh, Jesus was dead serious about living life well. And for him, that meant as well enjoying the things that really do give joy. And Jesus can give you that kind of life as well, a life of serious joy even in the face of the death that comes to you. Uh, death can teach us wisdom, uh, and Jesus' death is the greatest teacher of all. Because the death that shaped Jesus' life so profoundly is a death in which you, know, you and I and anyone who's put their faith in the Lord Jesus, we share in that death. Uh, because he died your death, your death and my death. He died the humiliating death of someone who uh, took himself a little bit too seriously, someone who thought he was a king, someone who thought he was God. He also died the humiliating death of, of those who don't take life seriously enough, the fool, the person who just doesn't understand what's going on around him. You see, he died the kind of death that comes to people like us, the kind of death that we deserve, in fact, as people who either take it too seriously or not seriously enough. But because Jesus also lived the life that God meant for us to live, a life of serious joy before the God who made the world, he received his life back so that he might give you life as well. Uh, all the errors and evils that our uh, escapism, that our stubbornness, that our fear uh, drive us to, that they bring out in our lives, all those things have been swallowed up in his death so that we can be free from slavery to the fear of death to live lives of serious joy, to look forward even to our own death, 
as a moment where, yes, there'll be sadness and sorrow, where, yes, our lives in all of their joy as well as their ugliness will be laid bare before others. But know that we've shared in his death and so we'll also share in his life. How can you look death full in the face and find joy, find wisdom to learn from it? By letting Jesus love for you as he died your death, sink deep into your heart. Uh, As the Apostle Paul writes, uh, in him, in Jesus, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So let Jesus' death change your heart so that you might share in his life as well. Amen.